0: this is Beyond the Bell Tower, where an elite group of North Carolina State University students give us a behind-the-scenes look at their steps to success. These students, who are in the top 10% of the country, are active in student support services at NCSU. These students are low-income and first-generation college students. Nationally, this population has a 10% graduation rate. Here at NC State, these students have a graduation rate of over 90% and go on to become doctors, dentists, accountants, and engineers. They work at Google, Apple, and the NCAA. Some have even earned PhDs at Ivy League colleges. These students go well beyond the bell tower to attain their eminent goals.
1: We are talking about the imposter syndrome today. And we're talking about that with actually another TRIO staff member, Rashonda Breeden. And she has a long history at NC State, as well as a long history with TRIO. And we are so excited to have her here. So, Rashonda, you've decided to join us. And we're excited to have you here. This is your first time in the recording but you have been at NC State for a long time?
2: Yes, I have. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. What do you think people should know about you?
2: Well, I have a lot to tell. (laughs) So cut me off if you feel the need to. Okay. But I can't begin to talk about our topic today until I first talk about my upbringing and how I grew up. Mm -hmm. So, again, hello, everyone. I'm Rashonda Breeden. I grew up in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, to a single mom and a dad uh, with a drug abuse issue. Um, And my mother, her being a single mom, she really stayed on me, and she really made sure that I got through school. Even though we didn't have a lot financially, she made sure that we had food and clothing, and we didn't always have the best. But because of her, I managed to do well in school. I managed to be kind of the best of the best at my school. And then I managed to get here at NC State. So I came here um, years ago, graduated (laughs) (laughs) with two degrees from NC State, one in psychology and one in Africana studies. And... It was a tough road being here as a woman of color and a first-generation college student and essentially an African-American person. I really struggled at first to kind of find my way and, and find my fit here. But once I did, I got super involved. I was an RA on campus. Shout out to Wolf Village and Avent Ferry. Um, I also served in various roles with the Multicultural Student Affairs Office, African American Cultural Center, and of course with C slips serving um, and going to participate in their leadership um, experience. And so mm-hmm, um, I eventually moved away, moved to Georgia, went to the University of Georgia. Okay. I got my master's. Slow down. Oh, okay.
1: No, you're jumping, because I actually have a bunch of questions. Oh, okay. Now, how did you decide to go to NC State? I
2: I would like to think that it was a, you know, clear, planned out process, but the reality is when I started my college search, I just applied to all UNC schools, and then I chose NC State because I saw the packet in my counselor's office and it looked appealing. So there was really no method to my madness, but I applied to a few schools, probably seven or eight in NC State. Um,
1: did you come to visit?
2: I did not. I did oh, not come to visit. Sight unseen. A sight unseen. I got admitted. And then I eventually came in February to what they used to have, which was like an African American visitation day. Mm-hmm. But I had already made my decision. I had already confirmed that I was coming. So the visit was just to come. And I had some friends coming and I rode with some friends. But I I attended that, and that helped me make my decision because it was sponsored by Multicultural Student Affairs. Mm -hmm. And so it really helped me see um, that there were going to be other students that looked like me. Um, And I was really excited about all the handsome boys (laughs) (laughs) that I saw. I walked away from that experience not, not being excited about the school, but being excited about... All the cute boys that I saw.
1: Well, that's actually the joke is whether you came to college to get your BS degree or your MRS yeah, degree. Yeah.
2: I was, I, honestly, I wasn't thinking about marriage, but they were just so well put together and polite and handsome. I was like, yes. So <laughs> that's one of the reasons I came. But also, I did feel that. The faculty and staff that put on that program, um, Dr. Tracy Ray, uh, Dr. Monica Leach, I remember meeting them on that day and really feeling the love here at NC State and really being happy with my decision, even though I had made it in sort of a, a weird way. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's how I got here.
1: Yeah, no, that's good. Now, did you know your major Or did you end up changing majors or?
2: I did. I knew my major. Well, I started off as a psychology major and I knew I loved giving people advice. I knew I wanted to study the brain. I knew I wanted to study different mental illnesses because I have folks in my family with some mental illnesses. So I knew that I wanted to do that. But I kind of stumbled into Africana Studies here at NC State because Because I did feel like an outsider, I was looking for courses that would affirm me as a person. Mm -hmm. And so I randomly started taking courses like black popular culture, courses like the um, African American psychology course. And it was my junior year. My psychology advisor looked at me and she said, well, if you take one more class, one more Africana studies class, you'll have a full major. And oh, wow. I didn't even know that we had that major on campus. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was just going toward a minor, but mm-hmm. I needed to take one more class, a capstone class with Dr. Tracy Ray. And I took that class and I actually taught a class. And oh, wow. mm-hmm, I got my other major in Africana Studies kind of without even trying. I kind of just slipped up into it. But having the Africana Studies major here really saved me when I was here. And what do you
1: mean by saved?
2: I met so many phenomenal instructors in the College of Humanities and Social Sciences, and not just African-American instructors, but also um, white instructors, um, Spanish instructors um, that were really just nurturing, and they taught me a lot about history and culture and the essence of African-American people and African people, and that Helped affirm me as a person because I knew that if they could survive and get through some of the challenges that they experienced, then I could too because mm-hmm. I was a part of their stock. And so mm-hmm. having that in my head was the thing that helped me get through NC State.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, was that your the first contact you had with people with graduate degrees, and or had you had other contact? Or significant content. Like had significant relationships with people
2: with graduate degrees. Definitely, yeah. definitely. I didn't think about that until you just said that. Uh-huh. I was like, No, I met people before that, but nope. <laughs> <laughs> now that I think about it, um, being the one of the first people in my family to go to college, um, I don't I don't think I had an idea about graduate school or getting your PhD because I don't think anyone else in my family has done that uh-huh. even now that I think about it. Um. So meeting those professors, that, that was the first time that I met people with higher degrees. And a lot of them just really loved on me. My class sizes were really small. Mm-hmm. We had class sizes of 10 and 12 people. And I remember being invited over to some of our professors' houses. And at NC State, that kind of thing just doesn't, doesn't does not happen. Yeah. But I remember getting that experience because I was in a really small major and it was good for me.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and when you were talking about that, I was just thinking about how when they say follow your passion and things will work out. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were just following your passion mm-hmm. without, you know, kind of it looked kind of like you thought you were blindly just, oh, I like this stuff. So I'm right. going to do it. And right. it's like, look where it led you. I
2: had no idea. Each semester when I would register, I knew I needed to take an African-American studies class because I needed to just have that throughout my week. <laughs> mm-hmm. And in doing that, I did. I ended up with a major.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's actually kind of interesting to think about, too, is pursuing, like, going to an academic classroom to feel more comfortable Mm -hmm. and more at home. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if students think about that. Like, where, you you know, in certain classes, you're you're going, being in the classroom is extremely stressful. Mm -hmm. And even almost, like, it beats you down. You know, it almost takes... Like, it makes you sit lower, (laughs) lower. But then
2: here, yeah. Well, some classes were like that, right? Mm -hmm. So some of my bigger classes were like that, where I just really felt overwhelmed in the space. I sometimes felt like I didn't belong there, hence the imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And so I needed a class where I did find meaning, and I did belong, and it really just reaffirmed my Blackness, and I loved it. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Now, when did you know that you wanted to pursue a career that required a graduate degree? Or did you decide you wanted to get a graduate degree and then you found a profession to go along with that graduate degree?
2: (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of stories that goes into my graduate (laughs) degree experience. So junior year, I was working in a psychology research lab on campus, and we were doing really great work, um, working with middle school students and talking to them about their self-esteem. And I loved working with the students that came in, but I did not like the data part of it and sitting in that little lab and just crunching numbers all day and not talking to anybody. And my advisor she's like, you know, you could do this long term. We love the work that you're doing. You can get your master's and then get your PhD here and it will be great. And she had my whole life planned out for me. (laughs) (laughs) But I was not happy with the work that I was doing um, in the lab. And I wanted Mm -hmm. to do more of the one-on-one interactions with students. And I talked to a few of my mentors, and they noticed that I was super involved in camp on campus. And I noticed that they each had degrees in higher education or student affairs. So I started to put pieces together, and I noticed that they were all doing work, great work. And I realized that that is what I wanted to do. I wanted to work with students like me because each of my mentors had poured into me in a way that if they hadn't been there, I wouldn't have made it. Mm -hmm. And so I really just wanted to be that support system for other people. And so junior year, my mentors placed me around people who could help me figure out what graduate degree programs to apply to, what these programs were looking for. And they helped me get my ducks in a row so that I was able to apply. And then I applied my senior year okay. and I got in.
1: Yeah. I mm-hmm. the, the question that comes to mind, too, is people always talk about, you know, like mentors and you need to have a mentor. And like for you, your mentors reaffirmed that you're good at this, you know, and then they said, Rashonda this is what you should do. Mm-hmm. And this is how I'm going to make it happen for you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But. How the heck do you get a mentor? <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, it's kind of scary. Like, how do you pick the person out of, you know, <laughs> when you're on a campus this huge?
2: and Right. So I think how you pick a mentor is definitely you should take a holistic approach, finding somebody that you can easily talk to, somebody that may be where you want to be in the future, and somebody that is willing to take you under. Uh, I didn't follow any of these things. Uh, These people kind of found me. Mm -hmm. Essentially, they saw me probably doing something that I should not have been doing, uh, maybe wearing something inappropriate, or maybe even maybe at my work-study job, just not being great. And they would all all have one-on-one conversations with me about how I could change, and they kind of just took me under their wing. So I never had to formally ask anyone to be a mentor. My mentors kind of found me, and it ended up being an informal mentor relationship.
1: But you had to be out and about. But I had to be out and
2: about, yes. But what I tell students now who I know are looking for mentors because we've encouraged them to look for mentors is to, again, find someone who's willing to mentor you and to coach you, someone who's easy to talk to, someone who will give it to you straight, no filter, not someone who's going to butter you up, and then someone that you can see yourself being in the future. And once you do all of that, then um, that should be a way to develop a pretty good mentor relationship. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, so if they tell you things that you need to change, that's actually a sign of them caring Mm -hmm. versus as like I'm tearing you down, like you're not good enough. Yes. Like what's the difference?
2: Yes, well, I've always thought that feedback means I care enough to make you better. Mm -hmm. And I've always I've taken that mantra my whole life from my mom giving feedback that I didn't necessarily want (laughs) to professors, to mentors. And so for me, when someone gives me feedback, I always just try to check my own ego Mm -hmm. to see if there's if there's any truth to it. And nine times out of 10, there usually is truth to whatever that they're saying now. If at any point I think someone is just being a hater or they don't really know me, then I'll dismiss their advice. But Mm -hmm. most of the time it's good advice. I just have to check whatever ouch they hit Mm -hmm. to make sure that um, it's not just me being petty because I can be. (laughs) (laughs)
1: we won't get into (laughs) character flaws I have to check that right 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 so going back to your grad school experience so your mentor's told you you needed to go to graduate
2: school yeah they basically said with my two degrees which were in the humanities that um, graduate school would probably be a good way for me to continue on with school but also get a higher paying job Um, I had really no concept of any of that I just knew that I was afraid to go into the real world I didn't think I was quite ready Um, And so I needed some type of buffer room for me to get my life together. Mm -hmm. And I thought graduate school was a safe option. And it all kind of just worked out for me. So I had these mentors telling me to do it. I also got it. I got in when I applied. Um, I felt like it was a good fit because I went to the University of Georgia. And I didn't look back after that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I I needed those extra two years of graduate school to kind of grow up and to kind of a more self-awareness right? as to who am I, what do I like, what do I not like, what am I good at, um, what am I not good at. And I needed that time. And I needed to move out of state where I didn't know anybody so that I could just be Rashonda and learn what that meant for me.
1: Right, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're going to focus a lot of the conversation on imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And so what's the definition of that for you? Like, what's your working definition?
2: My working definition is basically being in a space and not feeling like you belong, even though you may have the, um, the criteria, you may have all of the knowledge base, you may have the know-how, but feeling like you do not belong in that particular space. And there's been a lot of times in my life where I felt like an imposter, Looking around at everybody saying, you know, am I supposed to be here? Do I belong here? And it can happen in any space. And for me, it sometimes happens, you know, in the formal space, like the academy, like in school. And even now, sometimes I feel like it happens at home Mm -hmm. when I no longer Mm -hmm. fit into the the setting of my family and friends because now my educational level is different. So it's being anywhere— where you should fit in on the on the surface but feeling deep down inside that you don't quite belong. Right. Yeah.
1: Cuz um one of our other students brought it up where he had already been accepted to graduate school but to his core he thinks they made a mistake. Mm-hmm. Like intellectually he knows, yes I qualified, yes they accepted me. Yes, I'm sure I'll do well there. But in his core, he's just like, they didn't really mm-hmm. mean to accept me. There's no way I'm really going to be mm-hmm. successful. And he knows it's not logical.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's why I think it's like the syndrome, you know, the imposter syndrome. It's not self-doubt. There's something more.
2: Exactly. There. And I have a story similar to that. I remember like applying to graduate school. And hearing that when you applied to UGA for the student affairs program, the program was really, really small. And I heard that they got about 100 applications and they were going to only accept 20 people.
1: Oh, my gosh. And so... 20% acceptance rate.
2: Right. So when I got invited to the interview weekend, I found myself looking around at all these phenomenal people, people who had been in undergrad and then worked for a few years and were coming back to graduate school, people who were like the president of their school and had done all this phenomenal change at their school. And then I looked at me (laughs) and I was like, "Okay, well, you know, do I belong here? I mean, I haven't done anything spectacular, even though now when I look back at my resume, I did do quite a bit here. But I thought all of these people had done way more than what I had. And I remember not feeling like I belonged to be in that number. And I was one of the 21 people they selected for that cohort. But I remember sitting in the interview process like, I'm not going to get this, so I might as well just Be myself. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Have a good time. I got a free trip to UGA. I might as well make the most of it. And when I finally did hear back, I just remember being amazed and thankful and grateful for the opportunity.
1: Now, once you got there, looking back, why do you think they did select you out of so many other people?
2: That's a great question, because on the face of it, my GPA was particularly good. I probably had about a 3.8 or a 3.9 coming out of undergrad, but I did not have the GRE scores. And I was told back then that you needed to break a 1,000, and I had not done that. And I remember being, like, so distraught and being frustrated that these educators couldn't understand why a person of color wasn't doing great on a standardized test, even mm. though the research says— Anyway, I digress. Uh Um, So I remember being really um, nervous about that. But I think I was selected because in my interview, I was really candid about myself, my life journey. Uh, my struggles, uh, my family background, and then I talked about the change that I wanted to be in student affairs, and I talked about wanting to work with students that people forget about, um, underrepresented students, first-generation students, students that don't always have access, and I think that set me around for my other counterparts who were most of them talking about leadership or study abroad or things of that nature. So I think I, I made myself stand out by being extremely candid, but also by being my own person. So Mm -hmm. I brought that to the table, and I didn't try to be someone that I was not.
1: Mm -hmm. No, and I always say, like, I always bring up the statistic of for first-generation, low-income students nationally, only 10% actually earn a bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. So that means, you know, you're in the top 10% in the country. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking, you know, the... Mark Zuckerberg's the you know right. that's the right. the level that you're that you're functioning at, mm-hmm. and so it's like the power of that experience and realizing that just you, Rashonda, mm-hmm. and what you've accomplished is a lot more powerful than a GRE score. Right,
2: right. And sometimes it, being a first-gen student, you don't always realize how. Dynamic your story is until you go outside of your comfort zone and start telling. And you don't know what shit you've been through. No, I mean, (laughs) because you're just like, this is my life. Right? You don't you don't realize that you know you probably had a really yeah. (laughs) 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 So I I guess telling that story out loud for the that was one of the first or second times I had ever told my story out loud um, was really the thing that helped me I think. Get, get into Georgia plus to realize that they were not looking for the same cookie cutter type student for their program. They wanted a really robust program, a mm-hmm. program with all different types of people so that we could share life experiences and grow together. Mm-hmm. And so I, I appreciate them for giving me that chance.
1: Yeah, because I think like personal experiences and the ability to yeah articulate those reflect the or the confidence mm-hmm. you know to share it right is huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, because if anybody's going to use the experience of I climbed Mount Everest mm-hmm. and people are going to be oh amazed and it's mm-hmm. like well I did all this mm-hmm. you know exactly and it's actually may have been tougher <laughs>
2: exactly mm-hmm.
1: so so you got on campus I did. Oh, now, with the imposter syndrome, did you feel that after you got accepted, or did you feel pretty
2: confident and excited about going? I felt the imposter syndrome before, (laughs) before I got there, while I was there, and then once I um, started taking classes and things with my peers, I did feel like I didn't belong. Um, There were times where um, I just had to correct myself on language, so... A quick story. Words like ask are incredibly hard for me because I, I'm not used to saying that. That's not how I grew up to say it. I grew up to say axe, mm-hmm. <laughs> but AS is ASK, ask, not AXE. So thinking about that during um, presentations and also how I say library. I have to say it slowly each mm-hmm. time that I say it because I'm used to saying library. <laughs> <laughs> and so different things like that I was just very aware of when I was down there because I am I said I'm down here all by myself. I'm the only person down here that I know with 20 other people who are phenomenal. So I have to bring my A game. But there was a lot of times not just with language, but even in group projects where I didn't want to come off too aggressive and take over and be the angry black woman. Mm -hmm. Um, Or I didn't want to not pull my weight and someone think I was lazy or I got in because of a quota or because someone made a phone call for me. Um, Mm -hmm. But there was just a lot of different times where I just felt like I didn't belong. Sometimes because of my race, other times because of my first generation low income status there's a lot of times I didn't have the money for different things that I needed, um, like books or like, even I remember before I graduated getting my um, regalia. I didn't have the money for that to get my master's regalia and my department at Georgia paid for that. But there were many times that doors were just open for me because people knew my story. But A lot of times I didn't feel like I belonged. Even navigating Georgia, I didn't have a car at first. Right. And trying to navigate, you know, how do I get to class? How do I get to my apartment? How do I learn this new bus system? Mm -hmm. How do I get food and bring it back home? Um, all All are things that I don't think other people may have had to think about. But I I did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: So it's interesting, too, is the where it's a possibility if people found out who you are, like who Rashonda is, that they may discriminate against you negatively. But then also because they knew who you were you actually received the support that you needed.
2: Right. Um, In undergrad, I had found myself trying to, like, hide who I was or hide the fact that I was a first-generation student, low-income student, um, and I was trying to assimilate and to be this person. But in graduate school, that was completely different. For some reason, I felt extremely comfortable. Maybe my four years of maturity had helped. Mm -hmm. But in graduate school, I didn't feel the need to hide so much. I was very candid, Um, And maybe it's because it was also a smaller group of people, so I didn't have to be vulnerable to 40,000 people. (laughs) I only had to be vulnerable to 20. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe that helped, but that did help me Mm -hmm. get what I needed.
1: Yeah, because I think that's a skill to have, too, is the ability to sense who it's safe to share, Mm -hmm. and then who it may not be safe to share yet, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And so that's the piece, too, that I always hope to say. Like, you know, when we have their first meeting with students in TRIO, Mm -hmm. it's like, no, you can can tell me. You could, (laughs) you know, and they're like, I don't know you, lady. Yeah. And it's like, I know you don't know me. Uh And normally, I wouldn't advise you to tell people on the first meeting things that you're working with. Right. However, in our program... this is what we do and
2: we get it correct correct Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. yeah and at at first I found myself really connecting with five other um, women in our program who were African-American and even like looking for safety there but we didn't all have similar experiences Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I had to also look for other women and men who could still relate to me even though they may not have looked like me they not they may have not come from North Carolina so I really had to get outside of my comfort zone there too
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's in life, really. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, you got to find your people, mm-hmm. your tribe, right. wherever you go. I did. So, what you had talked about, um, you had brought up the term angry um, black woman, and that actually brings um, came to mind the double bind. Mm-hmm. Do you talk about that? Do you? So, the double bind is mm-hmm. you need to assert yourself in graduate school so people notice you mm-hmm. and know what you've learned mm-hmm. and know what you're capable of. Mm-hmm. But what if you assert yourself too much and then they just discount you as angry black woman? Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do you navigate that? Or how did you?
2: Well, one, I'm still navigating that. So (laughs) I don't have a clear answer. But in those spaces, sometimes I did well and I. Um, asserted myself and didn't care <laughs> how people perceived me. And sometimes that backfired. Um, other times I just stayed quiet because I knew where that road could lead. It would lead to people uh, discounting what I had to say if I talked too much. So it was tough. And honestly, I'm still trying to navigate that road of not seeming like a know it all, not seeming arrogant, but not seeming like you're ignorant as well. And so... I'm still trying to pick and choose my battles. But that is something that I faced in our group projects because I'm the type of person in a group project that I'll take it all on and do it Mm -hmm. all and turn it in. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I had to take a step back from doing that. And um, I had to rely on my peers to be honest with me when I was doing that. And some would tell me to step it up and some would tell me to step it down. But I'm still I don't have a clear answer because I'm still dealing with this double bind situation
1: yeah because it's almost I think like assessing the consequence Mm -hmm. right and is it worth it yeah Mm -hmm. and also knowing past history it's like how is somebody going to interpret my reaction
2: yeah and sometimes it's how I feel that day if it's been a particularly empowering day I might just you know go for it and finish the project and you know, give people my ideas and not be ashamed. But if it's an already rough day <laughs> for me emotionally, right? maybe in a class or in a work meeting or something like that, then I might cower back a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it just depends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, because the other thing that comes up, just I'm interested in the double bind thing that you brought up, is, you know, that's the thing is how do I speak or how do I dress? You know, do I, like especially in certain situations.
2: So many situations, and especially for an African-American person. For me, it was hair. Mm -hmm. So how do I wear my hair in class, in this interview, in the office? Because it's a big deal if my hair changes or it's a big deal if my hair looked one way. You know, all last week and now it looks a different way this week. And it's always the topic of conversation with people wanting to touch your hair and, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to look professional, but also wanting to recognize the natural texture of your hair was Mm -hmm. hard for me. So that went right along with attire and making sure I had the appropriate attire for the occasion because I always didn't have the funds. But -hmm. I had to figure it out. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, because I think basically what you said is like you pick the, the day, the time, the setting, the person. And you make that choice. You don't necessarily. I mean, you're gonna feel conflicted. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming, you know. Mm-hmm.
2: But it's—is it the consequence? Like, how do you decide? Right. Do I want my hair to be the topic of conversation in this meeting, or do I not? Do I just want to pull it back and no one discuss it? That—that <laughs> um, that definitely did yeah. happen a few times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just—it's. I guess
1: how does that person make or what say like a student listening is like, I'm not gonna change because it might make somebody else uncomfortable
2: because mm-hmm. my else?
1: thing is always kind of like well, who is it going to make uncomfortable yeah
2: but. and then if a student is feeling that i say power to you if you don't want to change because you don't want you don't think you know you have to conform i say do it mm-hmm. don't change um, but i think there was a lot of inner turmoil with me i didn't want anybody to call me out i didn't want to be different so i a lot of times i just come to the pressure and straighten my hair or added weave to it. Whatever I could do to make me look the most, uh, hmm, comfortable for people (laughs) (laughs) is the best way that I can describe it. And for a lot of people, straight hair is easy. It doesn't rock any boats. You pull it back and you're good to go. And for some people, having a big afro or curly hair is often seen as wild or rebel-like. And Mm -hmm. so if there's a student out there that is rocking their hair and they don't care what people think about them, I say more power to you, sister. But Mm -hmm. as a person in graduate school, I was not always that comfortable Mm -hmm. with myself to do that. Now, me now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Rashaunda, today,
2: (laughs) today, I I am at that comfort level. Mm -hmm. And so if a person is already there, it just continues to go up from here. I find that as as I get older, I start to care um, less about things that don't matter. And hair is one of those things that I think that African-American people spend way too much time talking about. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of big, a lot bigger things in this world that we can solve, we can figure out. But instead, some of us are thinking about our hair and we should just let it go. Just cut it off and be free (laughs) is my story.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I was thinking about the imposter syndrome with trying to fit in with physical appearance. Mm -hmm. It's like if I look like them, Mm -hmm. then
2: they won't find out that I don't belong here. Exactly. It's like, you know. If I put on this pilot uniform, even though I have not learned how to fly this plane, I can get in the in the chair and pretend and people will believe me. Um, so a lot of times I did try to change my hair or change my clothes to fit in. I already talked about changing my speech or really mm-hmm. practicing how I speak so that people don't assume that um, I grew up poor or so that people don't assume that um, I didn't belong But you do all of those things to try to fit in and you try to, you know, dress up, Mm -hmm. put on a nice suit and, you know, non-statement making earrings and things (laughs) like that. But...
1: Now, because what would you say to students who are thinking about graduate school because of not having them have the impression of, oh, my gosh, I've got to get a uniform. I've got to, to be able to fit in in graduate school. Like, do you think you had to have done that? No. Would that have impacted your graduate school experience as if you, you know, mm-hmm. kind of took on your physical appearance, the, the attitude that you have now?
2: Yeah, I didn't I did not have to do that. A lot of what happens in with imposter syndrome, it's all in your head. You feeling like you don't belong, it's in your head. You feeling like you need to change your attire, or change your hair, or change how you speak. It's It really is all in your head for the most part. And I find that if students are really concerned about this, they should talk to their program and talk to some of their professors, and you will find that these people think you're phenomenal already. <laughs> and yeah, they
1: they're don't... not going to waste their time and effort of no. having you come down <laughs>
2: No, they're not. <laughs> to school. Right. They mm-hmm. want you to spend your time really trying to, you know, think about the research or think about what's trending in your area. And you don't have to conform. Um, and so talking to the people around you is going to be important to make sure that you're not focusing on all the wrong things and also getting a sense of your history regardless of your background but getting a sense of who you are and what your people have gone through that really helped me to grow as a person because when I started to read about um African and African-American people and how, for, for me, they survived slavery. Many folks died um, during the transatlantic slave trade, but a lot of folks survived. And even after years and years and years, my ancestors struggled and they survived so that I could survive. And so thinking about all of that made things like my hair and my outfit not matter. The fact that I'm one of the few people in my family to have a master's degree matters. Mm -hmm. My hair doesn't matter. (laughs) Right. In the grand scheme of things. And so Mm -hmm. sometimes you need to do the research so you really know who you are. That really helps. And even having conversations with relatives, grandma, grandpa, If you don't have those folks, aunts and uncles, so they can be able to tell you about your lineage. Because a lot of folks in America, if you're here in America, your ancestors were survivors, Mm -hmm. regardless of your background. If you are here, you are meant to be here. There is a purpose for you. And sometimes hearing those stories will really help you figure that out. And then, of course, having your professors and friends and mentors pour into you will also help you really focus on what matters. And that's finishing your degree and formulating a life that's better for, for you and your family, better than what you had. And that was always my goal.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because however hard graduate school is, it's nothing compared to what you've even done in the last five years before, but Mm-mm. then what you're, you've done for generations, meaning you, your family has done for generations. Heck
2: yeah. And when you get that generational perspective, like when I, mm. when I really think about what my ancestors have done, there's really nothing I cannot do. I know there's a double negative for all y'all listening, but (laughs) there is nothing I can't do if my ancestors have already done it. And they've already done the hard part. All I have to do is go to school. Right. And for some of my ancestors, going to school wasn't even an option. And so to think about that, all of that gives me strength when I think about it. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, no, it's that's what's good, because usually um, something I don't I don't even know if society says it now like if you don't fit into the mold, mm-hmm. then you don't belong. Because I mm-hmm. almost think like if you fit into the mold now, you're boring. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Nowadays you are boring. Yeah. It's like what's your story?
2: Yes. Everybody what if you needs survive? one. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, but I think that's the piece of truly understanding it. Of mm-hmm. you know understanding, you know that you're one of ten percent with mm-hmm. low income, first generation graduating college, mm-hmm. and then you then pile on being other marginalized populations, right? you know, because with low income, you Mm -hmm. usually are from another marginalized Mm -hmm. population.
2: Yeah. And everybody has a story. So it it may not be the same as mine. You may be listening and think, okay, well, I didn't go through this growing up or I didn't have parents like this. But if you really think about it and jot down your story, there are probably different instances where you overcame and you haven't even reflected on it. Mm Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's important that we encourage everyone to do that because it matters and it, it, it will give you that that grit you need when you are struggling over a paper or when you're hating everyone in your group project because you, it's really about perspective. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. No, mm-hmm. for sure. Thank you for joining Rashonda and I on Beyond the Bell Tower. Keep listening to the second part of our conversation in the next episode.
0: TRIO Student Support Services Program and Student Support Services STEM are federally funded college retention and completion programs. These programs focus on academic, personal, and career support for under-resourced undergraduate students. At TRIO SSS and SSS STEM, our goal is helping our students reach their goals. We are currently accepting new students to our program. Apply today! Go to www.ncsu.edu to learn more about Student Support Services at NC State.